With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Live around Australia on SEN, welcome to Off The Tee. Talking all things golf with Nick O'Hearn and Sam Hargraves. Uh, yes, indeed. Welcome to Off the Tee, our dedicated golfing show on SEN, and a ton to get through. Uh, so much to talk about. What a big week it's been when you've got Women's US Open, Live in London, the PGA John Deere Classic was a classic, DP World Tour, the PIF PGA Alliance latest. There's a whole lot coming out, court documents and you name it, lot making news, a lot of great results to speak about. Aussie's doing us proud wherever you look. Uh, no better person to speak to about all of that in the form of world number 16, the only man who's beaten Tiger Woods two out of two times in match play golf. And that's why his name is Nick 2 and O'Hearn. Hello, mate. <laughs> hey, Sam. Great to uh, chat golf again with you. Can't wait. Let me ask you the big question first and foremost. How did you juggle, especially Monday mm. morning, how did you juggle women's final day at US Open at Pebble Beach? Yep. You've got um, the John Deere Classic, which was a classic finish, which we thought might have got lost in the wash a little bit, given you know what was going on around. You got the DP uh, World Tour as well, and then the live finish with Cam Smith and Mark Leishman uh, fighting it out, uh, and Ripper GC uh, trying to fight for their first ever team win. Mm. How did you watch it all? Well, I was keeping an eye on the app, um, you know, on 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 the Live Golf website on on the Aussies and how they were doing there, but. Uh, for me, it was mostly the U.S. Women's Open. Any major, yeah. and I'm I'm in. I'm all yeah. in, and especially yep. this one because it was a historic uh, U.S. Open because for the women, this is the first time they've played at Pebble Beach uh, in such a prestigious event. And um, and it didn't disappoint as well. I mean, the course looked fantastic. The The coverage was great. The drone shots, I mean, they just <laughs> they just love those drone shots. So why wouldn't you when you've got a landscape like that to shoot? The, the local tourism department or wherever, you know, <laughs> local county or – you know, that part of the state mm, just gets a mm. massive leg up, don't they? It's... Just at the moment that a camera goes on, every time you're looking at this incredible vista. Yeah. I mean, any, anywhere on that golf course, you can, well, having said that, I mean, I've played Pebble Beach a number of times. There's nine holes on the water and they are just incredible because the water's right there. And then there's nine holes inland amongst houses every so often. But those houses, oh my gosh. I mean, you're talking 40, $50 million properties. Little beach shacks down there, weren't there? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, why don't we start there then uh, with the 78th Women's US Open. And it's Alison Corpus who indeed emerges as the very first champion in the U.S. Women's Open at Pebble Beach. So that in itself is huge, mm. Nick Ahern. As you said, the first time ever at Pebble Beach, an $11 million purse, which was double what it was two years ago in 2021. These are the leaps and bounds that women's golf is playing. Venues, prize money. Alison Corpus joins the names Jack Nicholas, Tom Watson, Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods, Graham McDowell, and Gary Woodland as winners of the US Open at Pebble Beach, uh, one of golf's most iconic courses. She shoots that final round, 3 under 69, uh, to finish 9 under. 
the 78th US Open at three strokes clear England's Charlie Hull and Korea's Ji Ye Shin. It was an incredible win. I've got to pull you up. Phil Mickelson didn't win the US Open there at Pebble Beach, but that's okay. I'll let you off on what that did, one, Well, <laughs> then I'm going to go back to where I Googled uh, winners, yeah. major winners. Phil hasn't won a US Open yet. That's the one that he's, uh, that he he's always either, wanted. Has it? No, so there but we that, go. that's okay. He needs that for the career Grand Slam. But when you're talking... Phil's first major. 20, okay, I'm going to go back to that. <laughs> no, that's all right. But Thank you, you. Yeah, but when you're talking Pebble Beach, you know, the iconic names are Nicholas, Watson, Woods, uh, those, those three especially. Tom Kite won around there. Uh, he might have been the one you were thinking with Phil Mickelson, but uh, the way she mm. won it and the way she went about it was incredible. And she's never won on tour. Um, you know, she's a 25 year old, been a bit of a child pot- prodigy uh, early on, like really uh, during her teenage years and during her junior golf was was very very impressive. Um, I think Michelle Wee took her under a wing a little bit as well, and and that was another part of the tournament. Michelle Wee West who. Uh, who retired from tournament golf on the yeah. Friday after missing the cut. She was playing with Annika Sorensen. It was a bit of a letdown the way all that happened, unfortunately, in the darkness there. But uh, she's had an incredible career. and, and you could Won probably, the event in 2014. Yeah, you could probably put Michelle Wee's career so as, as a right. bit of an anti... You got that one right, yeah. Uh, a bit of an anti-climax, to be honest. I mean, a bit yeah. of an underachiever, I guess you could say. But she has inspired so many of these players now to come up and, and really well, challenge. And that's the serendipity of it all, mm. isn't it? When I mean, she's probably from the state of Hawaii, their greatest ever player. And that's, that's where, um, Alison Corpus is yeah. from. So she's a Hawaiian as well. So their, their, their most established star says goodbye. Their newest star says hello, $2 million mm. in the pocket. US moves up 23 ranking points to number six in the world, pushing our very own Minji Lee, uh, down to seven. The last five years, of women's golf. We spoke about this last week, just how, how deep the talent pool runs and how mm. even the competition is in women's golf. Only two players have won more than one of the majors on offer in the last five years. Minji Lee is one of those. So the last 20 majors have been won by 18 different players. That's incredible, isn't it? Men's it's three players have won more than one in the last five years and the last 21 by 16 mm. players. Yeah, so they are just so deep, you know, the yeah. the, the women's game is, is really expanding in that regard. And and then when you look at a player like Alison Corpuz, to me she looks kind of a bit ungainly in a way. Her posture is not great at the setup. You know, she takes she has a practice swing next to the ball. I'm never a big fan of that. I always say take a practice swing behind the ball. It gives you a better sight of where you want to aim. But she just does it her own way. But the ball striking early display, the yeah, that's right. The ball, she shot under par for four rounds, and at Pebble Beach, that is some achievement, especially in the U.S. Open. Mm. And the way she dominated that last, uh, that back nine, especially because she was neck and neck with the uh, uh, NASA Hateoka, the Japanese player, through yeah. nine holes, and then all of a sudden she birdies ten, uh, makes a great clutch putt for par on twelve. Hateoka bogeys, and then she's extended the lead to two or three, and then she just put the foot down and did not let anyone in, and. The player who was probably causing the most uh, excitement out on the golf course that day was Englishwoman Charlie Hull. She played an amazing round of golf, six yeah. under 66. And I don't know if you caught the, her shot on the 18th. Yes. It was so good. She ripped this drive and she's a real fast, enigmat, you know, energetic yeah. player. And she's under the tree and she came up with a fantastic comment to to a caddy because she's sort of saying, look, I really want to go for it here. What do you think? And the caddy's sort of going, oh, I'm not sure. And in the end, in the end she says, well, shy kids don't get sweets. 
Yes. <laughs> and they picked that up on the microphone. <laughs> and I thought, that is such a cool comment. And she went for it, hit a beautiful shot. Unfortunately, it didn't quite pan out. She still made par, yeah. finished tied for second. But her round of golf was something to behold as well. And there was some uh, brilliant golf played. And I, th- that's the interesting thing about it too. Like you spoke about that, those low scores of those in the top end. And we're going to speak about the Aussies um, in a minute. Mm. But tied for 13th. Um, so Alison Corpu shoots at 69. Minji Lee had a 75 on the final day. Hannah Green, 69. But very few players were able to get under par. So at 292, when you're in just outside the top 10 to be over. Mm. Well, that's a US to be Open. over par. That, that, that just goes to show you how difficult it was yeah. to score. Yeah, and, and, and that's the way the USGA loves to set up golf courses. They kept the greens nice and firm. The, the rough wasn't too deep. The only thing I was a little disappointed with was uh, that 18th hole. I think they should have moved the tees further up so more of the players could reach that green in two and all make it a bit more of a, an exciting finish. Yeah, they Whereas, were a long way. I mean, that, that was that was essentially where the oh, – it looked the, to be just were, about where the men's were. Yeah, they are probably about 20 metres ahead of the men. And really, yeah. I think if they moved it up about 40 or 50, that would have been a much better uh, tee shot especially uh, and and then the second shot coming in. So uh, – Look, they, they set it up beautifully. We had a halfway leader in Bailey, Bailey Tardy. She was a good story. Yes. You know, she, her biggest check up until that point was $30,000 on the Epsom Tour for a win there, but she made almost half a million US for finishing tied for fourth. So the money in the women's game is growing so much too, and it's just fantastic. Well, the Aussies, Minji Lee, the defending champ, in the hunt heading into the final day, was eight shots back, but the, the storyline around it is when – she won the 2021 Evian. She was seven shots back. So it was sort of like, can she break her own record? To, but not on that course, not in the <laughs> US Open. Uh, but it was a nice little narrative. Um, her final round it was a three over 75. So she finished tied for 13th with Hannah Green. Grace Kim, another good outing in a major, tied for 13th. So they get 170,000 US in the skyrocket. Gabby Ruffles tied for 23rd. And, um, and who, was, uh, who was actually at the halfway point. Um, if memory serves, Gabby Ruffles was mm. uh, inside the top 20. Uh, yeah, well, she opened with a 78, not a great opening round, but she came back with a 70, then a 71 again mm. uh, on the Saturday. So she was probably in that top 20 mark, but unfortunately closed with a 77, finished yeah. tied 33rd in the end. So, But it's still, she's still playing the Epsom Tour, not on the LPGA Tour at the moment. So it's yeah. a, a great week for her. Uh, and the amateur uh, from uh, WA, Madison Hinson uh, Tolchard, mm. uh, missed the cut, had an 80. Oh, great on experience day two. For her, oh, no, but... she, she qualified to get into the tournament. Yeah. And, I mean, imagine playing your first major and it's at Pebble Beach. That's pretty cool. Uh, next two events before the Evian. There's two events before the Evian. That's on the 27th of July at the Evian uh, Golf Resort. So um, Minji Lee looking to do what she did in 2021 mm. there. How did you see the performances, Nick, of our Aussies? Well, I thought the course would set up beautifully for Minji. She just didn't quite have her stuff, as in she she did, but she made a couple of errors over the first couple of days where she threw in a double bogey at just the wrong moment. Mm. You know, it was a par three, maybe the 12th hole, which she made a five on, uh, which really sort of set about any time she got some momentum and she was around that level one under par and looking to make a bit of a charge, she'd throw in a bad hole. and. Mm. So, you know, when you're tied for 13th in a major and you're disappointed, as I'm sure she is, that's a good sign. <laughs> that is a good sign. And Hannah Green never really got it going all week either. She closed really well with that 69. But Grace Kim, she's just chalking up these really good finishes, playing a lot of steady golf and, uh, and gaining great experience in such a young career. And she's going to be a world beater for sure. Uh, absolutely. So we've still got to get through uh, what went down at, uh, in London 
Uh, we've still got to do what happened at the John Deere Classic, uh, DP World Tour uh, as well. Of course, Nick's tip of the week is back, and so too the mulligan. All your favourite segments, and if you've got a question, if you'd like to get involved, you can do so, one three hundred seven three six seven three six on Off The Tee. You can text in uh, 0433981116. All the golf news is for Ping Golf Equipment, so you can play your best. This is Off The Tee. You're listening to Off The Tee with Nick O'Hearn and Sam Hargraves. Listen back to any part of the show you might have missed by subscribing to the Off The Tee podcast. It's called Centurion because of the rich Roman history here. And after a gladiatorial battle, Cam Smith is the new Emperor of London. But his legion have lost out to the four aces on the final hole. Yeah, obviously thrilled uh, about the individual win, but uh, it would have been nice to get up there with the boys. I, I ate a good butt too, so uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a bit of mixed emotions, I think, I think, at the moment. But this is what live golf is all about. There's the team element, there's the individual element, but you must be so proud of the boys. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we showed some form uh, early last week and um, showing form again here. Uh, it's good to see Leach playing really good golf. He played, he played incredible this weekend. I got to play with him the last two days, and um, yeah, he won't be uh, too far behind me, I don't think. So Live Golf comes full circle back at the Centurion Club in Hertfordshire in London, where it all began about a year ago, and Cam Smith couldn't have asked for a better lead-in to defend his open title, Nick. A hard-fought win. It's his second live title, $6 million Australian payday, and the Ripper GC, his team coming second by a shot. So Cam shoots 368 on Sunday, finished at 15-under, one-shot win over teammate and compatriot Mark Leishman, who had a five-under final day. That's his best live finish. And Patrick Reed, who stormed home with a six-under day, captivating golf. you got best mates playing against each other and with each other, big names lurking, a team win on offer. It was a good, really, really good final day for the Live Tournament, which was up against a, a women's major PGA event, a DP World Tour event, um, and it brought its best on that day, I reckon. Yeah, it certainly did. I mean, the stars were out. It was great to see Leash playing uh, yes. well again. I mean, right from the get-go, I think Cam Smith led after the first day. Leash was right there behind him. Team Ripper was leading, and we're thinking, here we go. We've finally got the Aussie team that are going to get on the podium uh, they, they did. It was a, you know a second finish in the end, unfortunately, and they came so close to getting that win. I'm sure Cam Smith would love to have that last putt back to try and get that. Uh, well, it, that was to force the team into the playoff, which has never happened, actually. We haven't seen a team playoff yet on Live Golf, so that would have been history in the making as well. But uh, for Cam Smith, the win, obviously he's been playing well for quite some time now and leading into the British Open coming up. That just sets the stage for him to possibly defend his title and go back to back. Um, that putt to win the team event. Mm. Well, it was to get into the playoff. Uh, sorry, playoff yes. for the team event, which I think is another great feature of that. I mean, the team playoff is is brilliant. Yeah, I ha- haven't read up on the format. I, I would hope for it to be like a, an alternate shot because that would be fascinating or whether it's an aggregate. I don't know what the team player format might be but we haven't seen that as yet and it's going to happen at some stage and you'd love to see the likes of Brooks Kepka or Dustin Johnson and Cam Smith going at it and things like that they don't just send out individuals in the team playoff it is actually an a, a team effort in that regard mm. 
Uh, so the standings, just to have a look at where that uh, places everybody at the moment, they've got um, – uh, they're heading to uh, Greenbrier, Washington, on the 4th of August, so after the Open. So the Aces are going to be very hard to reel them in, 168, 129, the Torque GC, or Torquay, as they've been calling it. Uh, and the Range Goats are in third, but Ripper in eighth. Uh, and the in, the player standings are the fascinating ones. So Taylor Gooch on 137 points. He's won three events this year. Three Cam, times. Yeah, Cam's on 130 in second place. Brooks Kepka. Um, is 112 points in third place. And then you've got Reed, Dustin Johnson, Grace Varner the third, Munoz, Uline, and Pereira making out uh, the top ten. It, it's what they wanted. Mm. And the surprise packet is Taylor Gooch. In amongst all those major winners, um, is the leader uh, at the moment. And the other good news story for them, Nick, was that they'd done a TV deal with Reach TV. So. Their stream is going to go into uh, about 2,500 airport screens. Oh, wow. Okay. And about half a million hotel rooms across North America. Well, there you go. They're slowly bleeding their way in there, which is, uh, which is great for their product, obviously. The week actually didn't start out that great with uh, Brooks Kepka It did not. Calling out Matt Wolf and how he said he's, he's given up on the team and all this. But to... what did you, so what did you make of that? Because the, 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 I've got the comments. Poor form, because Matt Wolf has been going through some mental health issues uh, of his own and that he's been dealing with, and he's been pretty open about it. You know, he's saying, look, he's struggling with life in general, and golf is, is a part of that, obviously, but... For, uh, for Brooks to come out and then sort of throw him under the bus. I mean, I'm not in the locker room with him, so I'm not sure exactly what the team dynamic is like, but you don't come out in the media in that regard. I think you support your teammate and try and help them through the whole process. But as we know, Brooks Kepka, he's not the best teammate in the world going on what he used to do at the Ryder Cups and things like that. Well, yeah, so he, he said that, you know, he's not, not a fan of people quitting on their round. He doesn't think that Matt Wolf's putting in the work and it, he's getting frustrated by not seeing from Matt what he wants to see from Matt. Mm. And then when that was told to Matt Wolf, he said, well, that's heartbreaking yeah. for me. Mm. So the tough love, if that was what it was intended to be, didn't have the desired effect. And, and apparently someone who was reporting a, a Twitter handle that I follow that follows Golfrand, a former pro, but it's under, a, a, you know, flushing it, I think he's called... He said that he spoke to Matt Wolf before those comments, up and about, positive, pumped up, you know, talking about the mental health journey and mm. taking time away, but where he feels like he's at now and a bigger game of life that he's trying to play. And then saw him the next day and it was a completely different person. So it had an impact. But my question would have been to Brooks, have you not seen your brother's results? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have you not seen what your <laughs> brother's dishing up? It ain't much better. Yeah, I know. Well, maybe there's some family tough love going on there as well. But uh, I think he took the wrong tack in that regard. And generally when people are having those mental issues, tough love never never is the best uh, form of um, advice, I guess you could say. But hopefully he'll uh, he'll kick back and um, and and he'll uh, improve his form and also improve uh, his, his mental state as well and just continue to, to play the game that he loves, obviously, and, and really get back to enjoying himself out on the golf course. But as far as the rest of the week went, uh, for the Aussies, it was a great week. Could have been better, but still outstanding. The one person who really needs to get his butt in gear is Jed Morgan because... He's down the bottom of those standings that you were mentioning, and he's in yep. that drop zone where he may not be playing there next year. Yeah, 44th out of 50. Mm. And I think it's, what is it, bottom five or six automatically get relegated. I yeah, think. And, and again, it was his score was the one that, that, that wasn't counting. So Matt Jones is 35th, so he's in that second bracket yep. where he could get moved, or but, but he will stay. Yeah, he could uh, get traded, I think, yeah. Leash was the big mover, so... His season this year had been 18th, 17th, 28th, 21st, 16th, 37th, 37th, 29th, 3rd. Mm. 
well, equal second, but they put it down as third. I'm still trying to get my head around how it must be on a count back. <laughs> well, I think what they're doing is they're not going tied second or anything like no. that. No. They're just going uh, whoever has the best score on the last eight, that's who finishes yeah, higher that's than who the other higher. person. Yep. So he's in 26. So he's just outside that, I think it's top 24, the, what we went to the green zone, the amber zone, and the red zone. Um, he's just outside the, the green zone. And so for all intents and purposes, what we're seeing here is that the belief is that for the time being, Liv is going to continue. It seems that way. There's yeah. four-year contracts in place for some of the guys. So some of them have got equity stakes in the team. Until, and we'll speak a little later about Jay Monaghan, who's released a letter to members because he's taken time away with his health. He's back from the 17th of July. Most of what we're finding out now is things that have been going on behind the scenes that we never knew about. What really needs to happen is what's going to happen moving forward. Mm. So what is the future of all three of these tours, how does it look? What shape does it take? Who will be playing where? Who is running it? Who answers to who? I mean, there is just still a ton. So many questions. Yep. So we will go through a bit of that uh, later as well because there's the Senate inquiry that's just about to get started uh, as well. There's more court documents that have leaked. The big one is the, the about the rankings. So we're going to have a chat uh, about that as well, some of the information that's come through about, you know, what the PGA were doing to sort of keep ranking points away from live. And it just continues to bubble away this, wow. this lawsuit uh, as well. Um, we've got your mulligan uh, for the week. In fact, just in case we run out of time, mm. did you want to give your mulligan now? Oh, no, no. I think we'll, we can always slot it in there later, but I kind of alluded to it earlier yeah. with uh, with Cam Smith, but I'll, I'll do it now then. I'm actually not going to go with the putt. I'm going to go with his wedge shot into the last hole. Anytime Cam Smith has a wedge in his hand, you're thinking he's probably going to get it up and down, but he took four strokes from there to uh, That's right. unfortunately lose the team event for his guys. But, I mean, he carried him the rest of the way and obviously still won the individual. So the mulligan each week where Nick Ahern hands out a take two for someone yes. who really could have used one. Which is amazing too, isn't it? Because that was the highlight, I think, of Cam's win was how many times did he chip in to either save par or make a birdie? Oh, he just rocked. Well, he, he putted beautifully all week. And he's obviously the best putter the in the world, thing. basically. Putting, so. unbelievable. Yep. Lights out. So how, how important that's going to be at Royal Liverpool? We'll do a big preview next week for the Open. So don't miss off the tee then. But we've still got half a show to go. So don't go anywhere. Get involved as well. 0433981116. Off the tee. You're listening to Off The Tee with Nick O'Hearn and Sam Hargraves. Listen back to any part of the show you might have missed by subscribing to the Off The Tee podcast. Seven iron. Not too much draw. Land soft there. Oh, no. Oh, what a shame. Oh, what a shame <laughs> indeed. Nick Ahern, the PGA Tour, the John Deere Classic, and Austria's Sepp Straker, who keeps his Ryder Cup hopes alive. It's his second PGA Tour win. He won the Honda Classic last year. Actually lost two playoffs as well. The FedEx St. Jude's to Will Zalatoris amongst those. Started the day, the final day, three off the leader, Brendan Todd. And Nick, what unfolded after that was almost the stuff of a legend. It was incredible golf. He went out in 28 on the front nine, which is seven under. It's a par 35, the front, par 36 on the back. And he, I think he made, uh, so what is he, seven under, and then he birdies four out of the next five holes. He was 11 under par through 14 holes. We've got the old 59 watch. He just needs one more birdie. 
There's a very reachable par five, the 17th, and then a possible birdie on 15 or 16 as well. Everyone was thinking he might break the PGA Tour record, which is held, I think, at 58 by Jim Furyk. And uh, unfortunately, he didn't make any of those birdies, came to that last hole, still needed to make a birdie to get that elusive 59. And as we heard Ian Baker Finch go, oh, no, hoiked it into the water, double bogey, shot 62. So he was in front by about four or five at this stage when he finished. And uh, he let, uh, who was it? It was um, Brendan Todd and Alex Smalley, who were a few groups behind, back into the race of things. But they couldn't catch him, and he ended up winning by two strokes anyway. But an incredible round of golf. There have been 59s there before. I think Paul Gordos might have done it. And Jim Furyk, he might have shot the 58 round there, actually. I'm not sure. I'll have to look that one up. Yeah, he would have been the 13th player to go under 60 Mm. on the PGA. And when you think about how many tournaments a year, and how many rounds <laughs> a year? Yes. And for how long That's the incredible. PGA Tour has been going for? For there to only be thirteen, I mean, it is almost as well. It's more elusive than a major. It's an illustrious <laughs> club. Good mate of mine, Stuart Appleby. He shot fifty nine at the Greenbrier, which is where Live Golf is going next uh, to win the tournament. That was a past seventy, so it was eleven under. But I'll still give Stewie a fifty nine. Yeah, that was pretty yeah, handy. Fifty nine. If you do fifty nine yeah. on a past seventy two course, well, then you know that means yeah. business. But. Uh, Seb Stryker, I mean, he was, I mean, have a think about this. He won the tournament at, what did he finish, 21 under par, I think he finished. Mm. After 16 holes the first day, he was three over the card, sitting in like 140th spot or yeah. something like that. And then he reels off. Fighting, he, fighting to make the cut. Yeah, he shot 73, 63, 65, 62. Mm. I mean, just incredible scoring. But it is a golf course that lends itself to a lot of birdies and to go deep. He's a very streaky player. People are talking about in the Ryder Cup. He could be a great pick because he could get it hot that one week, but he could also disappear off the planet and you never know. So your nickname, Nick Tuano Hearn, you've given him one, uh, Streaky Striker. Oh, there you go. <laughs> You're uh, just full of he, he finished an hour ahead of the final group. Yeah. So that's, if you're wanting to know how... how Three shots back doesn't sound like much, but when you're doing all the groupings and if you're finishing an hour before a clubhouse leader, that's yeah. a fair bit of time to kill. Yeah, especially after you made double. <laughs> oh, there's my mulligan for the week. Okay. He'd be only the second player to win this year uh, with a double bogey uh, on the on the final hole. Right. Who uh, was the other? Yeah, it's a good question. That is a good question. I remember... Um, it wasn't Grillo, was it? Scotty Scheffler won the Masters with a double Yeah, that was last year. year. There's he been one, and I read it earlier, and I didn't write it down, but it's only two players that have done it this year, finished uh, with a double bogey mm. on 18, but still won. The Aussies, Aaron Badley, just uh, gets to play the... You know, he still has the card to play uh, at some of these events, and he makes 45000 US for a tied 31st. Jeff Ogilvy. Uh, twenty three thousand for a tied forty two. Harrison Endicott fifteen grand for a sixty sixth, and uh, Cam Percy and Greg Chalmers uh, missed the cut for the Aussies. Um, why don't we head to the DP World mm. Tour next? This is the part that's going to be played all around Denmark tonight. <laughs> It is a home win for Denmark at last in the Maid in Himmeland. And it belongs to Rasmus Hoygaard on the sixth playoff hole. Rasmus Hoygaard. I'm glad we got the pronunciation of that <laughs> in the audio because uh, I was just about to botch it, even though I did hear oh, I it helped you out there. during the weekend. Um, that, talk us through this win. Um, sixth hole yes. of a sudden death Playoff, that is the definition of being made to earn it. It certainly is. And it was a dramatic final day. I mean, uh, Nacho Elvira, Elvira, sorry, 
he uh, he was the the overnight leader going into the final round. You had Hoygaard, who was a few strokes back. He played an incredible round of golf, making birdies left, right, and centre. But Richie Ramsey actually had the lead coming to the last hole. It is a brutal finishing hole. There's rough up the left. Mm. You don't want to go there. Water up the right. Very tough driving hole, about 440 metres long. Water next to the green. Richie Ramsey makes double bogey to go out of the lead. All of a sudden, uh, Hoygaard's up there with his chance again. And then Nacho came to the last with a one-shot lead, hits it a little bit long, hits a poor chip, ends up making bogey, and then we go into this playoff that was just never-ending. And in the end, Nacho uh, found the rough on the left side and then got one of what we call a flyer, and it flew everything, flew the grandstands, you name it, went up into the clubhouse somewhere out of bounds, and Rasmus got the home win, and the locals couldn't have been happier because... Obviously, you want a local Dane to win the, the tournament that is uh, in Denmark. It's a fascinating event. A good buddy of mine played pretty well as well, uh, Soren Kelsen, who's been out on the tour many, many years. Danish friend of mine. He had a pretty good week himself. The Aussies, uh, it was good to see Dave Michaluzzi play well. Yeah. Third round, 62. Really shot him up that leaderboard. Level par last round, but he finished tied 17th well, in the end. What a year for him, knowing that next year future is on the DP World Tour, which he, he gets status... Um, for winning the uh, Australasian PGA mm. Order of Merit, the top three went through, including, um, uh, including um, Tom Power, Tom Power Horn, mm-hmm. and um, and that's a good question. <laughs> We're going to have to look that one up. Um, have we forgotten Nick, already? Um, no. Uh, oh, he's a Bendigo boy. Oh, I've just gone completely blank. Uh, he's been on our show before as well. Um, not Lucas Herbert. No, no, no not Lucas of Herbert. Course. He's already out there. Um, uh, Martin. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to look. I've gone oh, blank God, as I'm well. Gonna, I'm going to lose my... Um, it's okay. I'm going to lose my 3550 postcode <laughs> privileges. Um, the um, So the experience that he gets to have when he goes over and gets to play some events, including a major in the US, and now he's getting around... Andrew Martin. Andrew Martin. There you go. Just I did say Martin. I just, I just went... I blanked as well. I was there with you. No, well, he's playing. Sorry, on, Andy. So, so, so Dave Michaluzzi is playing on invites over there at the moment. He's yep. got the British Open coming up in a couple of weeks. And he's just getting experience and playing in all these big events. He's played some in the US on the PGA Tour, got to play the Memorial, other big events. So all this year for him is just a mm. great, uh, you know, bringing in so much information that he'll use for next year when he plays a full schedule. I kept going to say Steve, it's, who's his brother, who was closer <laughs> to my age. Um so, yeah, uh, he was tied for 17th, uh, Dave Michaluzzi. So for the DP World Tour, well, they've got the uh, co-sanctioned Scottish Open at the Renaissance Club in South Berwick or Berwick. Um, the PGA, by the way, have got the Barbasol Championship at Keene Trace Golf Club in Kentucky. Well, the Scottish week. Open's part of the PGA Tour as well. Yes, so, that, yeah, that, that's, yeah the co-sanctioned, yes, so for both exactly. of them. Um, and then next week we'll do a big preview mm. uh, of the Open. Cam Smith, defending champion, coming in form or Liverpool. So many storylines to sink our teeth into. So we'll be uh, looking forward to that. Um, the PIF PGA Alliance storylines uh, continue to come through. So, and various bits and pieces, the news that and the stories that are sort of just unraveling each and every day and the bits and pieces that come through in there, uh, dribs and drabs. But Jay Monhanzo released a letter to uh, the policy board members to thank them for their support uh, and just to, to declare that he'll be back on deck from the 17th uh, of July. And he said, over the last several years, as we've uh, confronted challenges that called the PGA Tour's future into question, 
which is different language again. Mm. We have devoted every ounce of energy into securing a stable path forward for our organization. With the framework agreement with DP World Tour and PIF, we are on a path to accomplish this goal. Should we be able to reach a should we be able to reach a definitive agreement, which again, that's strange language, we can rest assured that the PGA Tour will continue to lead and shape the game for the future. Beyond that, we will have the ability to invest in our players and communities like never before. I'm eager to engage with each of you as well as our players, partners, fans, and our PGA Tour family to address any questions and protect the game we treasure. Mm. So we're still waiting on a lot of answers about how this all looks and how this all fits for all three of those formats and what it means for women's golf too as a, as a um, as its own entity. Yep. So what did you what do you make of some of the language in there? It's very vague, and I think because apparently I'm... the future their future was under threat, which has never been the language before. No, no. But I mean that's because they were putting on a bold front, obviously, mm. and they're wanting keep as many players as they could on the PGA Tour. Obviously, when they looked uh, at probably a few years in advance with what was going on, especially the lawsuits, that was the big thing for them was to get rid of these lawsuits because the 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 PIF, the Saudis, they were not going away in this regard. They were going to extend that out as long as they possibly could. And we knew that um, you know His Royal Excellency was never going to be um, cross-examined or anything like that, but that was going to be years down the road. So they were... They were just throwing money at it, and the PGA Tour didn't have that money in the long long term to just continue mm. to do that. They were spending like $50 million a year, I believe, on, on, on legal fees and things like that, which is just insane amounts of money. So uh, it is very vague. You mentioned the policy board there. There was an announcement by Randall Stevenson, who was the CEO of AT&T, longtime CEO over there. He actually resigned from the PGA Tour policy board with concerns over the framework of the PIF deal. And he said, I can't objectively evaluate or in good conscience support in light of US intelligence report concerning Jamal Khashoggi in 2018. So that was a big resignation from uh, a man who I met over there. He was the AT&T CEO. Uh, he's been on that policy board for a long time, 10 or 12 years or so, I believe, and has been a very much a stalwart for the PGA Tour. And they have some big events on there. So for him to resign, this kind of sends a, a message that uh, he didn't want anything to do with this because he feels it's probably going to go forward and it won't look that great uh, on himself in that regard. So uh, a bit of a surprising one in that in that sense from uh, from Randall Stevenson, but not for himself and his family. Obviously, he, that was the decision that he wanted to come to. Uh, and also the the PGA are defending the deal ahead of the, the, the Senate inquiries as well, which um, I'm just trying to find where I've got the date for those uh, coming up. But that's going to be a, a must watch um, as that all unfolds. Yeah, I think it's actually today, July 11th. Um, but everything with this framework and this deal, they, apparently they need to get an agreement in place by sometime in December at the end of this year. So I have a feeling they still don't know what the agreement or the framework to this thing is going to look like. They just have agreed to agree at the moment. You're right. Um, the uh, Chief Operating Officer, Ron Price, uh, and other PGA officials testified Tuesday during the hearing called by uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal and Ron Johnson. Um and uh, the members of the Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations. Uh, but the PGA Tour are defending its proposal, saying the future for the PGA Tour is significantly brighter thanks to this agreement. So um, this is all antitrust stuff mm-hmm. and whether there's a monopoly. Um, so they'll work through that. So that's a pretty significant hurdle to have to get over. 
It is, yeah. And at the end of the day, the, the, the policy board for the PGA Tour has to agree on everything at the same time. But they've got these legal issues to get through to begin with. Now, I can't see this being a bit of an issue, to be honest. I mean, you know, they're talking about um, you know, national security and all this sort of thing. I'm not sure it comes down to that in, in, in this regard, but maybe it does. I don't know. But they'll they'll work through all that. And uh, obviously, the public wants to know what's going on. And that's why these Senate hearings are taking place. Um, they also have said that they, they do regret the PGA Tour, how the news unfolded. So that that is an admission um, that has come through uh, as well, which is good to hear in mm. that same op-ed piece that we were just talking about from the um, from Mr. Price, uh, Ron Price, ahead of his uh, testimony. Um, it's good to hear that because as they should. Hey, uh, the other little thing that's come out, we spoke last week about the antitrust um, lawsuit that is still going. Um the, uh, well, that was from the, Patrick Reed's uh, former lawyer. Yeah, right? Larry Clayman. So mm. the antitrust lawsuit that he's filed seeking class action status on behalf of the golf fans, believing that the PGA's ban on live players prevented the fans from getting the best possible players, competing each other, best possible products. So last week was all about deals that were apparently done and signed and, uh, between DP and PGA to buy the stake in the Ryder Cup and speeches that they'd written for Tiger to support them that he never saw and never gave. <laughs> uh, all this kind of uh, little bit of scandalous stuff that was coming through. But the one this week that caught my eye was the ranking system. So we've one of the biggest issues that was always confronting Liv was how do you going to how are these players who haven't won majors going to stay within the top fifty to play in them and yep. what about ranking points and um, the official World Golf ranking points? Well, that system changed about a year ago. John Rahm, not a fan, he said in November last year he noted the discrepancy where the PGA Tour's RSM Classic with no top twenty players in the field awarded more points than the season-ending DP World Tour event in Dubai, which had Rory McIlroy and seven total players among the top 25 in the world, including him there. He said he believed that the um, ranking, he also believed that Live Golf should get ranking points. He said, I'm going to be as blunt as I can. I think that the OWGR is laughable. Well, this court case um, has established or documents have shown that those recent rankings changes were created by a guy called Mark Brody. And that was actually a work for hire done by the PGA Tour, not by the official World Golf Rankings. Um, to to establish a way for them to get more heavily weighted ranking points. They then granted the official World Golfing Rankings points a license to use his framework. Mm-hmm. So they gave him a license to use the IP. Um, and the new alliance agreement says that they will all work to secure ranking points for Live Golf. But that was seen as another way to deny Live Golf mm-hmm. ranking points and also to set the PGA up as the, even more so, the prominent place to gain ranking points. It was their model that they got, they commissioned Mark Brody to do and then gave them the license to use the IP. That that was interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting, isn't it? Funny how you want your, the most points to go to your own tour in that regard. But with Live Golf and their ranking points, that was always going to be a long process anyway because mm. you have to go through at least a couple of years before you are eligible to get world ranking points. And given there was the whole no-cut, 54 holes, all that sort of thing, limited fields, that was going to be a tough one. I don't mind them getting world ranking points. It's just, it should be watered mm. down in some regard. Maybe they get 10 or 20% of what should be awarded or, or however it works, to be honest. Um, and the last little one I, I, I wanted to let you know about on this was Nick Faldo spoke during the week and spoke about how whilst he's not a fan of Live, he is a fan of what they do, taking big names, big events around the world. And he was really strong saying whatever this new alliance looks like, whatever the new shape of golf and, uh, and structure of golf is, 
places they need stronger commitments made to places like Australia, like South Africa. He spoke about the joy that he got in his playing days of going to those countries to play in their events uh, and to win them. Mm. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, whilst you might not be a fan of Live, the opportunity that it presents to maybe realign the world of golf can't be dismissed as, a, yeah. as an opportune one. The a game big has opportunity. To, the game has to be global, and we have to see the best players go all over the world. And that's what used to happen with Greg Norman. He used to travel everywhere. Nick Faldo was another. I played with Nick uh, at the Vines uh, in, the, in the Heineken Classic um, many years ago, and. Uh, and it was always good to see him down in Australia. He'd always, you know, come play Royal Melbourne in the tournaments and things like that. But um, we need the best players playing all over the world, and that one is the one thing that they do have it right. They've got uh, tournaments everywhere at the moment. They're in London. They're in Spain last week. They're back to the US now. They've been in Australia, and wouldn't it be fun to get the PGA Tour? And uh, well, the DP World Tour has done that because it is very much a global tour. But wouldn't it be fun to get the PGA Tour doing yep. those sorts of things as well? Uh, we know President's Cup uh, will be back. Uh, we're actually going. To speak more about that next week, Nick, who's coming? We're going to get uh, Andrew Taylor, the general manager for Kingston Heath, uh, on the uh, on the phone for us. And we're going to do a little interview with him and check out what's been happening with Kingston Heath, the President's Cup, all the all the hard work that's gone behind it, how they got the uh, the vote for it, I guess. And it's going to be a fascinating discussion. That'll be next week on Off the Tee. As we finish up this week on Off the Tee, uh, all the news for Ping Golf. Equipment is custom engineered, custom fit and custom built for you to play your best. Nick's tip of the week. And I've got another random Tiger stat that I'm going to throw up Ooh. as well to finish up Off the Tee for this week on SEN. You're listening to Off the Tee with Nick O'Hearn and Sam Hargraves. Listen back to any part of the show you might have missed by subscribing to the Off The Tee podcast. Uh, Nick's tip of the week is all for Mizuno Golf. Hashtag nothing feels like a Mizuno. Uh, It comes in regards to uh, what this particular person was seeing at Pebble Beach, Nick. But I just want to let you know that did you know that 20th Century Fox used the profits from Star Wars to buy Pebble Beach for $82 back in 1979? Golf Digest told us that. Uh, But this email has come from Damien in Sandringham who says... I was watching the US Open women's golf and all I could all I could see was how undulating and sloped mm. the greens at Pebble Beach are. How do you play for greens that are so uneven? That's a great question. Uh, Thank you, Damien. Damien. Yes, they're very, very good. Well, the thing that you have to keep in mind is the shot that you're playing, think about, okay, where do I want to play the next shot from? As in, when you get these greens that are very sloping and you've got a bit of rough around them, you don't want to short side yourself and have a downhill shot. So you're always trying to leave the ball below the hole. And that's what Alison Corpus did so well at the US Open on the weekend is was she she hit the shots into the green, giving herself uphill putts, uphill birdie putts. Or if she did miss the green, had plenty of room to get it up and down and make a par from there. So think about the next shot rather than even though you're obviously focusing on the one that you've got now. Don't necessarily aim for the flag. Maybe aim away from the flag in the area that you want to leave that for for your next shot, your next putt, hopefully, or your next chip or bunker shot. You speak a lot in your book, How to Play Your Best Golf, about aiming centre green. Yes. Mm. If you aim for the middle of every green, you're not going to go too far wrong, are you? And they, we should do an experiment on that one, one day. I think clubs around Melbourne should do it. Take every flag out of the green and say, hey, go and, go and play and see what happens. And I guarantee you everyone's scores will improve because I'll just be aiming for the middle of the green because I don't know where the hole is. Usually you get sucked into where the pin is and you start taking on shots you shouldn't. How big was that to you in your career when you made that mental change to go, I'm not aiming pin, I'm aiming mm. 
middle green more often than not. Well, tour pros are pretty disciplined at that. And a lot of that came into whether greens were firm or soft. The softer the greens, the more you can attack. The firmer the greens or the more slope they have it to to them, then you have to play a more conservative strategy. So you're generally playing away from the pins. And that happens a lot here in Melbourne, for instance, on the sandbelt. Mizuno Golf, find your nearest stockist or fitter at mizunogolf.com slash au. Random tiger fact. I'd like to throw a few of these Ooh. up from time to time. For Scotty Scheffler to catch Tigers total weeks at world number one, he will need to be at the top every week for 12 years and three months. <laughs> good luck, Scotty. Yeah, That's luck. to catch... Tiger Woods. Hey, Nick, uh, we've had a lot to cram into that show. Beautifully done, as always. Next week, we'll talk about uh, just how big a story that is, Kingston Heath getting the President's Cup. We will do an in-depth preview of the Open Championship at Royal Liverpool. Cam Smith, the defending champion. Until then, my friend. Cheers, Sam. Always great. Sam Hargraves, Nick 2 and O'Hearn. We'll speak to you all again next week. Uh, Big thanks to Jules, who puts all this together for us. And a big thanks to you for listening. Happy hitting.